Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. The Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Real people, real conversations. I am pumped to be part of Have the Conversation. We're winding down season three with the personal hero, Sue Blythe Hall. Sue's the author of Fish Don't Climb Trees, A Whole New Look at Dyslexia, which shines a light on understanding and overcoming the challenges of dyslexia and enjoying the gift. Sue's professional training began experientially at school, but it was her son's learning challenges that led her to become a Davis Dyslexia Correction Facilitator. And for the past 22 years, she's had the privilege of working with dyslexic children and adults, sharing in their aha moments and watching them overcome their challenges. She has come to the conclusion that everyone is learning able, and some children just don't learn the way they're taught. We discuss a lot of topics in this episode, and if there's any message I would love to spread like wildfire, it's Sue's. Apologies for the audio quality. This was one of those conversations where we had to rely on Zoom audio, so there's some dropouts and background noise, but everything of importance is there. For shareable clips, content, and additional education, please visit htcpod.com, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. I myself am just... I'm beyond thrilled that you're here. I watched your TEDx. I read your book. It was life-changing to me. So I just wanted to say thank you, first and foremost. (laughs) You are very, very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And and Leanne, uh, do you want to kind of tell her a little bit about what you're going to bring to the table today? Yeah, (laughs) I won't bring much to the table, Sue. I'm very uninformed about dyslexia. I do have people in my family that struggle, but uh, I'm just curious to learn and kind of ask very basic questions to just get a better handle on what dyslexia is and how we can help people who have it learn. And this is a fantastic combination. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. We've got two experts and a newbie. Well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means, but I've definitely been in the realm of many diagnoses and nothing making sense in the parent role. And then upon reading your book, very reflective on my own experience growing up where I could have really used an advocate like you. So I'm really excited to jump in. (laughs) Very excited too. Thank you. Yeah. So for our audience, can you explain what dyslexia is? Yes. Dyslexia is the result of a natural ability meeting our education system. And, uh, What that means is, well, first of all, I should say what it isn't. Our brains are not this wide. There is absolutely nothing wrong with our brains. Everything is communicating exactly as it should. And all all of us are are capable of learning. And that was the theme of my TEDx that that drew you to this, that everyone is learning able, if they're enabled, to learn in the way they were born to learn. And that's the key to the whole thing. Unfortunately, our education system doesn't help us to learn in the way that we were born to learn. It asks us to learn in the way that it would like us to learn. So what happens is the wonderful individuals that I work with, um, they have this incredible gift, which is a natural ability to alter perception. And what that means is that you guys might like to do this. If you closed your eyes and I asked you to imagine an elephant, for example, would you be able to do that? Yes. Okay, so you can open your eyes. What was doing the looking? (laughs) (laughs) That mind's eye you talk about. Yes. (laughs) There's a part of us that does the looking when we imagine. I know we have our pictures in our memory, right? But it's like being in the movie theater. When you're sitting in the movie theater, 
you're in your seat and you're watching the film, you're not in the film, mm -hmm. right? And it's exactly the same when we have imaginary film. We're looking at it from somewhere. Does that make sense, Jen? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> and we call the place that's doing the looking the mind's eye. Quite frankly, I don't care what you call it. Some of my students call it their dreaming eye, their brain's eye. It doesn't matter. It's the point of perception. It's the point that does the looking when we imagine, right? Now, when we have this particular way of thinking, we are particularly good at moving this point of perception. And if we were to imagine that elephant again, for example, it wouldn't matter whether I saw it from the side or the back or the top or the bottom. It's always an elephant. Does that make sense? But yeah. it does matter in the world of print because if I have a lowercase d in front of me and I start seeing that from 180 degrees, it's not a d anymore, it's a p. Does that make sense? So in very simple terms, if we use that amazing gift that we have that really works well for us in the 3D world, if we start using it in the 2D world of print, we're in trouble. Mm. And we don't know we're in trouble because, number one, we automatically assume everybody learns like we do. <laughs> because nobody ever talks about how we learn, right? But yeah. We have this thinking process, which is 32 images a second. So it's subliminal very often. We, we can slow it down. We can daydream, obviously, right? But we do have this subconscious way of operating where those images of that D in all sorts of different forms is happening very quickly. We don't consciously know it. We just make a mistake and we say P or P. Okay. And that's, that's the sort of um, the basis of so many learning challenges, whether you have this Alexia or dysgraphia or dyscalculia, even ADD, ADHD, the fundamental gift that we all share is that ability to talk to perception. Mm. So there's two more parts. <laughs> the second part is that when we go to school, we enter a school system which, if you like, is built for the PC computer and we happen to be the Apple Macs. <laughs> Nothing wrong with our computer <laughs> at all, <laughs> okay? It does everything that the other computer does. It just does it on a different system. Some would argue they do it better. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> oh, dear. But the point is that the most glaring example of this is when we're taught to read, we're supposed to sound out to read. Because the PC system, they're based in sound. They're very linear and sequential. And they talk to themselves in their heads. Whereas the Apple Macs are not based in sound. We're based in images and feelings, and we have a, an internal film going on in our head. Now, obviously, there's a continuum. There are people who only think in sound and people who only think in images, and obviously a whole bunch of people in the middle. But I promise you, everybody has a preference, right? So you can tell the people who love to curl up with a book and the people who would go near a book and would rather watch a film, right? And the people in the middle are pretty much a good mixture, okay? But our education system teaches to the people who are sound-based. Therefore, they say we have to learn to read by sounding out. All this phonetic instruction. So, if you see a word like cat, you're supposed to go cut at her, right? We don't do that. It's not in our wheelhouse. We just don't do it. There's nothing wrong with us that we don't do it. 
It's just that the system is asking us to, to learn that way, and we happen to have a different way of being able to read. That's the second part. So first part is this beautiful way of altering perception. Second part is this difference in, in how we're taught. And the third part is that because we think in pictures, we need a picture to think with when we're reading a word. So if we read the word tree, it's obvious we get a picture. Bicycle, desk, table, easy, right? But if we were read a word like the, would you have a picture for the meaning of the? No. And words like if and of and yet and when and how, no pictures. And sadly, 217 of these little words make up half of what we read. So guaranteed, whenever we read, uh, especially the, the little primers, they're obviously very small words, and people think the small words must be easy, but actually very often the hardest, and they get so muddled up, like in and on and there and there and there, that type of thing. They're very difficult, particularly because they don't have an image for the meaning. And every word has three parts to it. The spelling, T-H-E, the meaning, which is completely blank, and how you say it, the. Right? So when we meet a blank in our picture thinking, we just get confused. We drift off. Yeah. And you can have a whole sentence made up of those little words, especially instructions. <laughs> right? And so we, we do, we drift off into space because there's no picture to hold us. Right? It's like being in that movie theater where the film suddenly went blank and then it comes back again and then it went blank and then it came back again. Would you stay in a movie theater? Yeah, you can't focus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you find the one that was working, which is called our imagination. <laughs> That's working 24 or 7. And unfortunately, <laughs> the kid is much more interesting too. The kids drift off into that and then they're called ADD and ADHD because they're not paying attention. But we didn't give wow. them enough to hold them in that original movie theater. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of all those three things, this beautiful way of thinking, which works incredibly well for us in the real world. Because if you are an architect and you go to a piece of land and you can see the house that they're describing and all you have to do is then draw the plans, right? And if you're an event planner, you can walk into a room and see exactly what's going to happen and the flow of the, the people. If you're an athlete, some of the kids seem to see the soccer game from above, right? So they're the kids that are always in the right place at the right time. It's too fast. They don't know they're doing it, right? Strategists, curlers, chess players, surgeons, um, and so many people in the trade. I mean, if you were a carpenter who didn't have this way of thinking, I don't know that you'd be that good at it. Right, yeah. <laughs> so In that perspective, yeah, especially the surgeon. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and, and pilots and, and all that stuff. So this beautiful way of thinking needs a system that is built for the PCs when we're the Apple Mac, and we're not given all the pictures that we need, and that's the mixture that um, unfortunately means that the children who enter school with this learning difference leave with the learning disability label. And that's not okay. Because they are absolutely 100% capable of learning. Mm, yes, I agree. <laughs>
You wrote in your book that you're grateful for the gift of dyslexia, but you also said that you were grateful for the gift of not knowing. <laughs> um, can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. When I'm working with a, a student, it's one-on-one. -on -one. And I think the best example of this is math. I'm useless at math. I, I definitely had dyscalculia, but luckily, one of our programs is a math program, and now I get it. And but the best part of it is, when I'm working with a student, I can absolutely see where they are totally confused because that's where I was confused, yeah. right? <laughs> it's a huge gift. And sometimes we look at something and we both get confused at the same time. And that's actually really useful because kids love it when you don't know. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> and then we, we can find out together. We, we can use these tools we can solve the, the, the issue together. I learned fourth grade math last year that way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, I think what they don't like is when an adult asks them a question that they know the adult knows the answer to. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why are you asking me? You know, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the fun part of it is when both of us don't know and we just figure it out. The method that we often use, when you know those little words that don't have pictures? Yeah. Well, we look them up in the dictionary, we see the definition, we make the definition with a little clay model, and then we make the word. And then we've got everything we need. We've got the meaning in front of us, we've made it, we've got the word, the spelling, and we know how to say it. And that's what we use as word mastery. Um, so when we do have a puzzle like that, we do the same thing. We look at the meaning of whatever was making it difficult for us. We look it up in the dictionary, try and make a model, and then very often it's not so confusing. Is it a pretty quick turnaround for the for the connection? To work with a child for one week? Uh, I guess what like from the time you kind of form the words in the clay and. It, that process to when it really starts to stick is that pretty instant or does it take time no if if you look up a word and you make a model and when you look at the model it's absolutely as clear as day what that word means then it's there it's part of you wow that's so they beautiful. just truly need the picture absolutely and most of all if they've made it they won't forget it because I think there's one of those um, charts, I think it's Glasser, who said, you remember, t what, 20% of what you see and 30% of what you see and hear that. Type. But it's, I think it's 80% of what you do, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, our enemy is confusion. When we're confused, our mind's eye goes off into space and tries to sort it out, right? Now, if I look at this mouse and I think, and I'm thinking, is this my mouse? Yes, my mind's eye will give me 32 images in one second, and yet, sure enough, it's my mouse, right? But when we start doing that in the world of print, and we start doing it at school, we hear one word, we don't know what it means, we go off into space, our mind's eye is trying to make sense of it. It doesn't work so well. Overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. And then that breaks my heart when you mentioned them now being diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, because that's not even close to what's going on. They're just trying to understand what's being said. And I mean, the kids and adults I work with are incredibly smart, right? They have this fast thinking process. Very often, 
they're those children who are basically old souls. They have a wisdom beyond their years, right? They know that they should know. They get very frustrated when they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, oh gosh, I've lost my train of thought. See, I've gone up into space. (laughs) Can I ask you a question while you're out there? (laughs) So, for instance, if you're trying to understand the word if or the word the, what would you have them form out of clay for the meaning? The meaning of the is one thing, but it's one specific thing. The meaning of a is one thing. So if you want a banana, it's just one banana. So you would make one banana in clay. You would make the word a, a, and then you, you've got the meaning of a, right? But when it's the, it's one specific thing because somebody is talking about it and pointing to it. So if I want the banana on the table, it's separated from all the other bananas in the whole wide world, right? So you would have like a little clay man. I thought you might ask. We make little clay men. <laughs> so good. He would be pointing. He would be pointing to the banana, and he would be talking about it, and that separates it from the other bananas. And it, and you'd have the word THG, and then you've got everything you need. That's fantastic. I know. I'm so excited to put this into play with with my girl. I'm so excited. I can't even tell you. <laughs> oh, well, that's beautiful. How old is your girl? Um, she's ten. That's when the wheels come off very often, around grade four, because all her coping strategies are in place by then, right? So right. all the the, um, the things that she's done to try and survive are really sort of holding her back from being that little apple man. Yep. Yeah. Uh, knee deep in it for the last 10 years, trying to make sense of it. And given um, every diagnosis under the book, all sorts of medicine to try to cover it up. We said enough's enough. And we are just so fortunate to be in a spot now where we have educators who are willing to go to bat for her and, and, and trying to be as accommodating as the public school system will allow while like trying to tag team, you know, at home and, and do the most. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited about the steps that you laid out. I'm, I just, I can't even, <laughs> it, it really means so much to me. What are some of the common uh, misconceptions of dyslexia when people often hear about, like, Leanne, I'm, what do you think dyslexia is, I guess? Yeah. Just kind of not being able to read? Yeah, my basic understanding was scrambling letters and scrambling numbers. And, and that's really, that's, and, and made it very difficult to comprehend whatever you were trying to learn. That's the extent of what I knew. Absolutely. No, and, and it's not that we don't do that. Yes, we, we do see letters from all different ways. We we see words from the opposite ends, um, and we do get numbers mixed up, that's for sure. Um, but the interesting thing is when I went to school, I didn't know I had dyslexia. And frankly, I don't think anybody else did because I was able to cope with the reading and the writing and math was my downfall, right? Mm-hmm. It, you don't have to have all of those things together. Um, and in, when I went to school, and it was a while ago, and <laughs> women didn't have to be good at math. <laughs> so it wasn't such a big deal, right? And, um, and I got by. Um, and funnily enough, I trained as a secretary. Um, I was a big disappointment to my, my headmistress because, oh, your principal, um, because I had the grades. I worked really hard. I could do the writing and I could do the, the 
with the spelling and I kept rereading and rereading um, to try and make sense of things and I got the grades to go to university but there was some part of me that I know now was just me saying no way you are not going it's not going to work right and so I didn't I trained as a secretary and that was hilarious because it was um, the days of manual typewriters right <laughs> and, and it was shorthand which was even funnier and yeah, and, and carbon paper, you know, for, for copies and, and you had to sort of rub everything out. Oh, it was, it was, a, I never passed, um, a typing test because they would put this, the speed thing on. And as soon as that happened, the metronome would have been. Well, you can think about. Mm -hmm. Totally. I just went to pieces. I never passed the test, but they gave me the diploma because they knew I could do it. So, and I discovered that as I was working as a secretary, a sense of humor is really important because if you giggle and laugh when you've made a mistake, it's really difficult for people to tell you off. <laughs> that is my coping mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it helps you not tell yourself off as well if you yeah. can just be a little lighthearted. Yeah, with it, you know. totally. It really I, mean, does. I wasn't exactly in denial, but I was definitely going to make a joke out of it. So, uh, yeah. no. <laughs> um, I can't remember what your question was. Did I answer it? Just the common misconceptions yes. that people may think it's one thing and it's really, it's, it carries over from, from the letters and the numbers to literally every thought that you think. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that people don't understand that part of it. That's not just reading and writing, it's emotions. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it plays into every thought that you think. Well, that confusion um, is is the key to us being disoriented so even if we were to walk into a room and we could feel that maybe the people in the room weren't very happy that sends us into a confusion right was it me that made them not happy is it me coming in you know that type of thing with all these questions and you sort of tend to to go off into space and for me one of the things that um besides the math it was a sense of direction i can get lost anywhere I, yes, <laughs> yes, you are speaking to me right now, yeah. <laughs> anyway. The math and the directions, it's a disaster. Oh, in, in the old days, when you used to have map books, the, the first page of the map book was the overall picture, right? And then they had the pages where you had the section you needed to go to. You might not have seen that. But um, <laughs> if I saw the big overall picture, I could sort of get a hang of the other pages. But if you just put me in that, page just the section page i wouldn't have a clue where i was too much wow. yeah i see that i noticed that with my daughter a lot um like even if they change the way like the flow of traffic in a certain room i mean that can just it's it's over <laughs> she really does just panic you know and i was the same way as a kid and i still can get that you know you talk about loss of direction if I go to the store, I have to park in the same spot every time, <laughs> you know, or just very close to it for, for that very reason. I know. Yep. And if they knock down the house on the corner, you're done for, right? <laughs> <laughs> but what's it by? That's what I always have to say when people are giving me directions. Yeah, yeah. Don't come with that north, south, no. west stuff. I don't have time for that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely. But typically, you mentioned the word change, and that's something that typically we don't like because when we have pictures, they're very strong, right? And then we walk into a room and, the, you know, the furniture's changed and it's, it doesn't match up with the picture that we have in our head. 
mm-hmm. right? And that can often throw us, as you say, um, with your daughter. And change is something becoming something else, right? Mm-hmm. So a typical example would be the caterpillar and the cocoon and the butterfly, right? But sometimes we don't know what that end is going to be. There's no picture for it. Like, you know, when kids move house, Sometimes they don't know what their new school will be like or their new friends or their new home, their new bedroom, that type of thing. So when that um, the result of that change is not a, a strong image or it's not even one they would like, it gets to be a bit scary. Yeah. What are some coping skills that are healthy that these kids or individuals or in your own you know, journey have helped? Well, um, you know how I told you the three parts to the challenge, this wonderful ability and the, the system and the, the no pictures? Well, um, when we work with the kids, first of all, we have to show them um, sort of what you might call a parking spot for their mind's eye. And Ron Davis is a gentleman who wrote this book called The Gift of Dyslexia. And he discovered quite by accident that if you park your mind's eye about a foot above and behind your head, it gives you the same perception as you'll realize, the same focus. So the first thing we do with kids is show them how to create that parking spot, and they will see the parking spot with their mind's eye. If they're there, then they know they're seeing what everybody else sees and hearing what everybody else hears. If they don't, then they know they're off into space. Wow. And so it's a very definite tool that they can use if they're off into space don't say anything it might not be right (laughs) and whatever somebody's telling you you might not be really hearing it right but if you have this parking spot then you know that you're in that place to be able to learn I think that's effective for almost any kid to learn it's almost like a meditative practice mindfulness yeah Yeah. well funny you should say that (laughs) because um Maybe I can I go down, I'll go down the correction part still, but I'll come back to the prevention part. Yes, however you want to do it. Um, so the the correction part is first of all they have to have this focus and they have to be relaxed and they have to be able to control their energy levels. Very useful for kids with ADD. Um, so we give them the tools. We check out the alphabet because when they were learning their letters in the very beginning, they might have been somewhere else. They might not have correct images, right? So we make sure that all their images for all those letters, uppercase, lowercase, punctuation marks, they're all accurate. They don't have any confusions in them. That has to happen, first of all. Then we do the reading exercise, which is based on spell reading. So if you come to a word like cat and you don't know it, you say C-A-T, I say cat. The child knows when they see C followed by A followed by T, it's always going to be cat. And funnily enough, spell reading is what adults do because, yeah, and if you didn't know a word in color was there, you'd say, hey, what's G-I-F-T? You're not going to say what's G-I-F-T. Right. Right? Right? So why we do it to kids, I have no idea. Well, I know why we do it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, the point is, um, when they've got their, their way of focusing and when they've got no confusions left in the letters and when they're able to do the reading their way, and then they can start making the, the meanings for words that don't normally have um, meanings. They're good to go. They're, they're just in the same place 
as anybody who learns any anyway. That's the correction part. Now, the prevention part, which is um, where Leanne was going, if um, K-3 teachers learn these strategies in two days, and they're based on all those correction methods, they use them with the whole class, the whole class learns to focus, the whole class learns to control their energy levels, the whole class learns their alphabet with K, and then they read the spell reading way. They can bring in the sound if they want to, but I would always do it later. And then they would learn how to make words. You can start off with cat. You can make a little play cat and C-A-T. It's, it's a way of learning that would um, be good for them their entire lives, no matter which way they learn. And that way you can prevent the learning challenges from happening. But they only happen because these people are not catered for. But if you, if you use a method that works for both, no learning challenges. They're able to keep up. They, they're totally uh, doing what everybody else is doing. Everybody's doing it together. Nobody's singled out. There's not. I know where people think early intervention is such a good idea, but it really isn't because you pull a child out, you test them, you segregate them, you take them out of class for more of what they couldn't do in the beginning. You give them a tutor at home. They still can't do it. And by this time, they are convinced that they're stupid. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's not okay. It's not necessary. It can be avoided. Can I ask something just to make sure that I'm on the same page? So you're talking about the, the spectrum of learning, right? And you've got the verbal conceptualization, that's the learning and, and sounding things out. And then the nonverbal, which would be considered dyslexia, essentially. So if it is a spectrum, I get, I've always considered myself a visual learner. Would that put me more towards the dyslexic side of that spectrum? So if um, if you are... Uh... <laughs> Not to make this about me. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> like so many questions. No, it's a great, great question because everybody wants to know, where am I? Where am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where do I fall? Put a pin in it. <laughs> yeah. So if you divide that spectrum, right? Mostly sound, mostly image. I would say that I was on the cusp of the middle and the, the dyslexic. And maybe you might be too, because maybe you're visual, but you don't have, you know, I was, I was able to use those tools that they gave me in school, right? Um, it didn't seem to mess me up too much, but that's, I'm not right down that end. My son is definitely down that end, and there was no way he was going to learn to read yeah. So, um, the, the, the way that you can assess whether you have this way of thinking or not is, say you were to close your eyes and go back to visualizing that elephant, right? If I ask people to do that, some people can see nothing. So they're definitely down this end. Okay, so it goes both ways then. The, the verbal conceptualizer cannot really see any images. That sounds so sad to me. <laughs> me too. Um, uh, we should label them dysvisual or something. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> we don't need another label, do we? No, no, we don't. No, but it's sort of tempting. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, you will have people who can see flat photographs. Like if you say elephant, they'll see a picture of an elephant in a, in a magazine. And then you'll have people who can see the 3D. 
right? And then there's me who's just drawing it like I can't stop. Yeah, that's how I operate. <laughs> that's very cool. But the actual ability is being able to keep the elephant still and see it as if you're walking around it. That If you have that ability, then you'll be in my world, so to speak. And it might be that you, you know, you, you can read, you can write. I could, okay? But then I'll almost guarantee there will be some, even um, coordination and catching and, you know, hand-to-eye coordination for, for, ball, for ball sports, that type of thing. That can be something that's a result of your mind's eye being out here in space. Like being well-coordinated or being not well-coordinated? Uh, good, good question, because actually it can be both. You can have amazing athletes, and they're using that ability very often to see the information before everybody else. And then you will have other people who can't catch to save their lives because their mind's eye is just out in space somewhere. That proprioceptive like input yeah. is like just completely off. Yeah. You you have to get the information has to be accurate as it comes in. And a lot of kids are very late speaking, right? Because mm-hmm. if they're they're not hearing correctly, if their mind's ear if you like is out somewhere they might not be hearing accurately so that you can't learn to speak accurately until you're hearing accurately. Mm-hmm. And it's not structural hearing, it's this perception of, of sound. That's giving me so much to think about. This is so exciting. My poor daughter's going to be so sick of me by the end of the day. I'm just going to be trying out all sorts like, of stuff. like, mom, we're done with homeschooling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Um, you, you talk about the threshold of confusion and how some days you can feel more dyslexic than other days. Can you help me understand that a little bit? Yeah. So if you're tired and you haven't had any food decent to eat, you didn't sleep very well and your, your, your head's aching, um, it's much more difficult to, to do whatever that coping strategy was to, to get you in that place for learning. So, um, it's a good idea to to um, to talk about the coping strategies because um, most children seem to try and concentrate, right? The harder you concentrate, the more stressful it is, the more your headaches, your stomach aches, exhausting. Some children play the class clown, make light of it. Some avoid altogether. I am not going to school. You cannot make me, right? <laughs> Some people are in denial. That's what he said. No, come on, you know, yeah. that's the problem, right? And so all these coping mechanisms, right, um, try to get us through the day when we're in school. But when we're tired and when we're, not, we're hungry and when we're hurting, they're much more difficult to use. And so we would appear to be more dyslexic. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. Yeah, that, I guess, answers my question because I saw on your website that you talked about a good diet free of intolerances can help kind of decrease or, or help your ability to learn more easily. I guess why is that is, is my question. Well, um, particularly with the kids who have ADD and ADHD, I can't help thinking that sugar has a, quite a lot to do with it. I mean, it's almost impossible these days to, to eat anything that doesn't have sugar in it, processed sugar, right? Processed food, yeah. Processed food. So sometimes kids arrive and they've had like chocolate milk and cereal for breakfast and I'm, I'm 
know, then they have a chocolate chip cookie for snack. And I'm thinking, how, and I'm supposed to be working with you and you're supposed to be working, right? Yeah. It's, it's not good. So I think the, the diet does have a lot to do with it, particularly but some children know. I mean, they say to me, no, I can't have candy. I'll go off the wall. So they, sometimes they know it. Wow. That's mm-hmm. very intuitive for them to know yeah. at such a young age. Yeah. You have to tell them, you have to, you have to tell them like, you don't, if you, this is part of your health. This is part of what you need to do. We've had to do that with my daughter because she's a chocolate freak, and you know, she, if she sees sugar, she will go nuts and she'll say, I can't control myself. She and says, I, I can't to- stop eating. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had like a rule um, with my, my son that he would only ever have candy or chocolate after a meal, right? Yes. That protein first. Never by itself. Protein first brings the spiking down, right? So, um. I, I loved in your book when you uh, said that you put a stop, because they do, they reward kids with candy all the time at school for getting a problem right or whatever. And I, like, I think I threw my fist up in the air in solidarity because I've gone in there too. And I'm like, stop giving my kids Skittles. Like, they don't need, <laughs> like, this is not helping them with anything. So I totally, totally respect that. But you do, you have to go in because they they do teach kids that way. Reward system. Sugar as a reward. And it's such a disservice. Absolutely. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. No, no, (laughs) it's it's my same soapbox. There's a wonderful book called Simplicity Parenting by a gentleman called Kim John Payne. And he says, we've created a, a, a society of reward junkies. Like the kids won't do anything unless there's a reward. And our our philosophy, if you like, is they've got to do it for them, right? Um, one of the wonderful things about these programs is when we're doing an interview assessment with the, the children, we hear their struggles, we hear their, their challenges. The big thing is, do you want to do something about it? Is there something you want to be better at? And they have to say yes for them. Right, not because they're going to get a bike at the end of it or something like that. Right, it's so important because their sense of satisfaction and their sense of achievement is the, the greatest reward they could ever have. Confidence building. Absolutely. You were talking about Ron Davis and his book Gifts of Dyslexia. Can you talk a little more on those gifts and and what they can bring to people's lives? Um. Well, Ron Davis himself discovered this way of thinking as he was a portrait sculptor. So obviously one of his gifts is that he's able to, to sculpt um, a, a portrait. Well, what do you call them? Just people's heads. <laughs> like a bust almost. Yeah. yeah. Like a, yeah. And, um, uh, and so that would be an obvious gift. I think in the world of, of sport, you find that to be able to send your perception ahead of you gives you a little bit of information slightly quicker than the, uh, somebody who can't. So mountain bikers do it, skiers do it, racing car drivers do it. They just get a little bit of information ahead of the game. This whole thing about playing soccer or hockey. One, one of my kids, after he'd done his program, he said that he let his mind's eye go loose when he was skating down the the rink to get to the goal net, but when he wanted to shoot, then he popped it on the parking spot because it needed to be accurate. Wow. So cool. So, like a superpower. That's yeah, so crazy exactly. to think about. We have a superpower. Um, 
and like like I mentioned, with tradespeople, electricians just sort of have a sense of where the current's going, and and carpenters know if things are just going to fit. And um, uh, what else? Um, strategists play out um, moves in their in their heads. Um, entrepreneurs they see business um, opportunities, you know, slightly differently from everybody else. I mean, talk about thinking outside the box, right? We don't even know the box exists. Um, so it's it's just being able to see things from different angles. Like I say, event planners, flower rangers, um, hairdressers. Uh, there's so many uh, occupations and professions that I honestly think you would have to have this way of thinking to be any good at it. But obviously people who who are good at it and don't know consciously that they're doing it, um, how would you know differently? Well, exactly, because nobody asks us how we think and how we learn. Yeah. And why is the school system laid out that way? Was it just a bunch of people who think the same way that just came up with the curriculum and that's what it's been? You come across um, the late Sir Ken Robinson's YouTube. Mm-mm. Oh, Sir Ken Robinson was the most amazing uh, university professor. He was from Liverpool. He's hilarious. And he's made some fantastic YouTubes. And um, he explained that over 500 years ago, the school system was designed to get people into the factories and the courses. And therefore, it was linear and sequential. We sit in rows. We have a bell that goes off when it's time for school. It was all about discipline. And it was made by the people who are very good at the linear and sequential. And they're usually the sound thinkers. Right? And we were the hunter-gatherers, too busy climbing trees to worry about it. <laughs> One's recess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Making things happen. So it was, it was in that format a long, 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 long time ago. And, if, you know, please understand it if there are any teachers listening. It's not the teachers. This is not a, anything to yes. do with the teachers. It is purely the system, Right. And nowadays, they, they seem to have more leeway in what they teach, like the curriculum is a little bit more flexible, but the way it's taught has hardly changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they use overheads and slides and such, it's still 2D. Even art is very often 2D. And we've got rid of all the beautiful things like dance and plays. When I say to the kids, you know, do they do any school plays? No. You know? It's so sad. A lot of the three elements are just missing. Mm-hmm. The hands-on, you know, the cooking, the, the, um, if you can introduce more of that hands-on learning. I mean, these kids, you ask about talents, they can put IKEA furniture together without the instructions, just like that. Oh, yeah, that, uh, I definitely, with instructions, cannot get one of those things together. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, what a part of what we're doing is obviously to try and introduce this into the system. But the tricky part is when you have a system that's been around for so long, right? And the people who are good in that system, as children, they're they're the A students. They very often drift back into that system, right, and become teachers. And as far as they're concerned, there was nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And here it's very strange Apple Max over here saying it's not 
and, and, and I'm not going to say it's not right or wrong. I'm just going to say it works or it doesn't work. It works for yeah. you. It does not work for us. Mm-hmm. Right. And for one third of the population, for it not to work for it's such a disservice. And that was part of the reason I was telling Leanne about this. I was holding up your book and like shouting because I was like, she had pages of solutions. You said, this is what you can do. And I love that you ended it on. It's not that hard or, you know, it's, isn't that easy or something like that. And I just, every, every educator, every school needs to read this book. And I was telling Leanne too, I was like, you need to be on every board of everything. <laughs> I'm just sending it out there because this is such a unique perspective. And I think my, definitely my own education journey would have been totally different. Um, I wouldn't have been so scared. I would have had a lot more opportunities to sink into what I love to do a lot earlier on. And, and I definitely, as a parent, now learning the things that I'm learning, like you said, it, it's not the teachers. There are some really great ones. There are some really not great ones. But it really is the system in which they're allowed to do their job that stifles them. And if it can be done in an affordable way and, and quickly, why wouldn't we jump on this? And I, I guess my question is, why hasn't been, there been more progress towards this? I think that there definitely has, but why not on a larger scale, do you think? Well, this is so many, <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. that, <laughs> loaded question. <laughs> go one at a time, right? But why, yeah. why, why not is the, is the ultimate question. Um, officially, right. it's 10 to 50% of the population, right? But I will guarantee that they are the only the ones who have been tested. Yeah. I wasn't tested. I wasn't right. a problem, right? I'm not. I'm not going to be in that 10 or 15%, but I will guarantee you that it's much nearer 30%. The affordable part of it, uh, to me, it's hands, it's like 101. I can't believe we don't do it because when you think of the consequences of this system, it's fine if you have a wonderful, loving family and they'll do anything they can to help you. Um, but there are so many people who don't. And of 75% of all the people in our jails have a so-called learning challenge, right? Because they drop out of school, they get into trouble, they find ways of coping and belonging somewhere that is not always uh, a very good idea. So, I mean, look at the money that you could save, uh, even in that. And when you have people helping in school, all the EAs and the, and the um, teachers' assistants, if they didn't have these learning challenges. They could be helping the kids who really, really wanted the one-on-one. You know, the kids with autism and cerebral palsy and all that type of thing. Um, it would be amazing. Nobody's going to lose a job over it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It might reinvigorate the teaching passion a little bit. I think it definitely would. Yeah. Now, when it's tra- when we try to get into the ivory tower and we start shaking the ivory tower, it... Um, it holds on like crazy, and we are light on science, what they call scientific proof, right? In actual fact, there's no scientific proof for what they do, believe it or not. There's plenty of empirical evidence. We have empirical evidence. We just don't have as much of it because we haven't been around for 500 years, okay? So that's that part. But what is very cool just now, I'm having quite a few students come to me from the Industry Trades Association. So, you know, when people appear not to be very good at academic life, then they're often put in the trades, right? Um, Which is fine because they're probably better in the trades. But these days, the exams that they have to take are ridiculously academic. 
I've worked with six adults now who are trying to pass their Red Seal, and you would not believe the textbooks that they have to plow through, right? Which is very weird, because it's just not who they are. In the old days, you used to be able to learn hands-on, pretty much all through, yeah. mostly hands-on and a little bit of schooling. But now it's, it's unbelievably academic, right? And so the people that I'm in the trade association that I'm working with are beginning to understand that this is not such a good idea. So maybe we'll we'll get in that way. Maybe it'll sort of creep into, you know, um, what do you call them? Colleges where you... Yeah, the technical colleges. Exactly. And um, going back to my schooling, believe it or not, I did English, French and German A-level. I mean, it was the most ridiculous wow. choice in the whole wide world. I love language, <laughs> strangely. I really do. But I thought they were going to tell us about language. You know, in England, you do O-levels. Oh, and, okay. and then you have to specialise with three A-levels. And, um, and so I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to learn, obviously, the speaking and the writing part. But they're going to tell me about language. But no, they didn't. <laughs> they made me read books and plays and poems. And when I left school... And I thought, I'm never reading another book as long as I live. And that's not okay, right? <laughs> right. That's just not, I could have done so much better like, academically, if you like, if I had gone to university. But mm-hmm. I, I do have one story to tell you. Are we okay for time? Yes, please. Um, it's in the book, but this was just so wonderful. Um, the university near us, there was a wonderful lady who was part of the neuroscience. Um, group, and she decided to to have this film about dyslexia uh, shown during a conference, right? And all the people who came to the conference were amazing neuroscientists and psychologists, and and um, I mean everybody in the room had degrees beyond belief. And I didn't like the film because it was one of those head patting films where they they say, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you can't read, but we'll find something you're good at," right? And I found that unbelievably condescending. Yeah. So I said to her, please, can you put me on the panel? <laughs> and she said, but you didn't like <laughs> This is what I love about you, Sue, so much. You're so rebellious. <laughs> I don't think people realize it. It's very unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm so British. But no, it's just about, it's just about justice, honestly. And yes. I didn't like this film. And I said to her, please put me on the panel. She said, oh, right. And in fairness to her, she said, yeah, go ahead. So. I'm sitting with the people who have made the film, and then next to me is this professor who I know is very well respected in the world of learning challenges, and then there's me. And they all say these nice things about the film, and then it's my turn. <laughs> I said, I just found this film very difficult to, to watch because I may have dyslexia, but I'm certainly not learning to say That's right. And at that point, the whole room erupted in applause. Wow. And I didn't expect that. These people were teachers, professors, psychologists. They all, they, they applauded so much that the lady who was running the, the, um, the conference said, say some more. And I wasn't planning on saying any more. <laughs> I had my line. I delivered it. That's it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that was the event that gave me the confidence to write the book because I thought to myself, I did not say anything deep, profound, totally academic. Do you know what I mean? I just said what they all knew. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't have applauded, right? So if they all know it, why aren't they doing something about it? 
And the guy next to me said, well said. And I'm thinking, but you've got all the credentials. You could be doing something about it. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. You used, I, I'm not sure if it was in your TED Talk or on your website, but the term neurodiversity. And I just thought that was perfect. I mean, it's a different way of learning. It's not a disability by any means. And I think the fact that we label, especially these kids with these terms, it, it can follow them their whole lives and take them on a trajectory that never needed to be taken in, in the first place. Absolutely. It's true. Very, very true. I, I do have one question. You mentioned the Davis method earlier. Um, if there were teachers who were curious about, you know, getting certified or um, is, is it a certification or how does that work? Yeah, it, it's just a two-day workshop. Um, and these days we are able to do it online as well. So, yeah, but we have it. Even more accessible. There's no excuses. I know. Yeah. And, and, and uh, no, no excuses. <laughs> the website that you would need would be www.davislearn.com. D-A-B-I-S, learn, L-E-A-R-N dot com. Okay. And the, the main website is just www.dyslexia.com. That's the main Davis website. And parents who are curious and have um, questions can go to those websites too, and there's information for them as well, correct? Absolutely. I want to talk really quick about you had that moment on um, the stage where you got the applause. What was it like when you found out you were going to give your TEDx? biggest eye roll I've ever seen oh my goodness I tell you if you guys ever want to do a TEDx you should do it but be prepared (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, it was one of my bucket list items I really wanted to give a TED talk because I'm used to giving talks through schools and and school districts and that type of thing and you're you're meeting a lot of people but to give a TED talk you're going to to be able to to give your message to a lot of people, right? Big impact, yeah. And they're very well respected. Um, and so it was very exciting. So I thought, okay, I'm going to apply. And, and I was um, so surprised. The, the the process was unbelievable. You had to write your talk. You had to present it in writing, first of all. Then you got whittled down to 24. Then you had to present it where you could read it on Zoom. And then you got whittled down to 12. And then... Um, then you're, you're in this whole machine and the, the training, the coaching was absolutely fantastic. We had a core message coach in the beginning and an end coach and a humor coach and a, you name it, we had it. And um, we had events that we could, could practice and, and uh, present our, our talks over Zoom as well. And we had to memorize the whole thing. That was the truth. I was wondering that. You really did memorize all of it? All of it. And, oh, it was a nightmare because I, that, <laughs> that belongs to that world, right? I don't memorize. Yeah. And when it's, it's everything I know. It's everything I wrote. Can you believe that you wouldn't remember it? But, I mean. I, yes, I do believe that, actually. <laughs> I fully believe it. <laughs> this, this is one just very interesting thing, which is I learned about myself. I, I tend to be more a feeling person than a visual person. And uh, there was one sentence I could never remember. I always left it out, and it was quite a big – it needed to be there. And I noticed that my hands were doing this, or, or, or that, or that, or that, or something. If I got my hands working, the words came. It wasn't the words that made my hands work. 
it was my hands that made the words work. Ah, amazing. I never, never thought of that. And I wonder if that's how actors get it, because there's quite a few actors who are dyslexic, right? And maybe Mm -hmm. their movements bring in their words. I don't know. But that was a complete aha moment for me. And talk about nerves. You can prepare all you like. I mean, when you've got this this talk in your head, you wake up talking it, right? And I could almost do it backwards, but when you stand on that red carpet and you know that the minute you open your mouth, you can't stop, (laughs) it is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And you get one take? Ah, well, yes and no. I didn't know this, but we had a wonderful film editor and he had quite a few cameras from quite a few angles so I fluffed up four times I messed up four times but you'd never know it because he changed the angle in order to oh yeah because it looked flawless yeah I know clever hey (laughs) (laughs) yeah well done on that editor (laughs) plaster that everywhere (laughs) the sad part was we didn't have an audience right because of COVID and, and the people who were there had masks and so that was actually the hardest part in some ways because I can feed off your energy when I'm talking, right? As soon as you nod your head, then I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, that type of thing. And, and we didn't have that. So. No oh, my gosh. But you did it. And you did it so successfully. Congratulations. Thank you. You did a great job. Thank you. I'm so glad it led you here today. Yeah. I really, truly am. I, I will be in touch long after this for sure. I, I could talk to you on and on and on. So thank you so much for your gifts. and. Both as someone with um, an internal dialogue and internal movie, you surpassed my expectations. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so very much for this opportunity because I've heard so much about your podcast and it's a total having the conversation with you. Thank you, Sue. (sighs) Thank you so much, Sue. Um, We're going to end it right there. We will let you know as soon as we get it done on our end so we can share it with the masses. I think this is going to make a really big impact. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Thank you both. You too. Thank you, Sue. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon.